Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. A special edition, Colby. The uh, OSU Cowboys with a massive win, the biggest game in the country on paper, turned into a great game. And Colby Powell is joining me now. And Colby, lots to discuss with OSU getting a big win over Iowa State. Yeah, it was a big win. It was nice to have Spencer back. The defense was unbelievable. And Oklahoma State right now, alongside Kansas State, in the driver's seat in the Big 12. So that was a big one because, I mean, everybody kind of said going in, whichever of these two teams can win in Stillwater will be in a great position to, at the very least, make a Big 12 title game. So Oklahoma State has now put itself in that position with a big one on the way against Texas this Saturday. Absolutely. They still have a lot of tough games, which we'll, we'll kind of look at the, the schedule moving ahead too. But man, just a great college football game. And you're right, Colby, there were so many like caveats with OSU. Yeah, they look great, but yeah, they look great, but their defense looked good, but they played Kansas and West Virginia. There's no more of that now. They beat a really good Iowa State team. And thoroughly kind of kind of dominated for the most part. And I really felt like OSU was kind of out of it. But before we start breaking down the game, Colby, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop for all things OSU. And who knows, Colby, they might be printing uh, Big 12 championship t-shirts this year. So I'm, I'm sure Chris has that waiting in the wings should the time come. But uh, we always appreciate Chris's University Spirit for sponsoring the podcast. And you can shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Or just go to Campus Corner. It's kind of a crappy weather day. I don't know if you want to be walking to, to Chris's University Spirit today if you're on campus. You might want, just want to hop online. Uh, yeah, online would be the way to go. And, yes, a Big 12 champion T-shirt would make a great Christmas present as Christmas falls just six days oh, after the Big 12 championship game this year. Synergy. I like that. You know, the, uh, when OSU won it in 2011, I got my dad one. because I was like, Dad, I don't know how many of these are going to win in your lifetime. So <laughs> here's a T-shirt. So. Hopefully you can get a second one uh, th this year. But uh, without further ado, let's get to the first five. I mean, we, obviously we're going to break down Iowa State, Colby. So much to discuss and, and get to. Let's just kind of go through some of our, our biggest takeaways from the game. And my first one was Iowa State was a game opponent. They came out and punched OSU right in the face to start the game. We are like, oh boy, Iowa State came to play with the power run game with Brees Hall. Uh, Brock Purdy keeping it for the first touchdown and their defense really forcing OSU into some 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 punts and everything else. I, I thought Iowa State really acquitted themselves well and were a, were a game opponent and really a, a really good a really good team. My first yeah. big takeaway in, in that first half, you know, Iowa State gets up seven to nothing and it looks like they're about to go up 14 to nothing whenever Brees Hall breaks that big one over the right side and Oklahoma State chased him down and that was a huge chase down because they chase him down at like the 30 whatever the case was and then you get the intentional grounding call that backs up the field goal and Matt Campbell was losing his mind dude that's clear as day intentional grounding he was in the pocket the ball never got back to the line of scrimmage as much as he said that he was trying to get it to Brees Hall uh, okay maybe you were trying to get it to Brees Hall but it landed 10 yards short of where Brees Hall was standing so it was a clear intentional grounding and then they missed the field goal and Oklahoma State goes and scores so instead of being 14 Nothing if you don't catch Brees Hall on the big run or 10 nothing if they're able to make the field goal. It's seven to seven. And I think that kind of set Oklahoma State up well moving forward. And I don't think, I'm trying to remember, I don't think Oklahoma State trailed the rest of the game because they went up 14 seven. And then after Iowa State tied it, they went up 21 and then 24 to 14. So Oklahoma State never trailed after they tied at seven seven. Huge chase down. You're right. And, you know, there was some talk during the game like, man, Brees Hall's tired of hearing about Chuba Hubbard. And I was like, well, maybe. 
but he went untouched for his two longest runs of the day. And Chuba Hubbard would have scored the first one. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Chuba's gone, if that's the case. So, and again, the, the defense, Colby, obviously we're going to talk a lot about them on this show. But speaking of those two big runs, other than those two huge busts where Brees Hall just goes untouched for 60, 70 yards a, a pop, the OSU defense was lights out. I mean, Brees Hall never really got going for the most part other than those two huge runs. And I just thought throughout the game, the longer the game wore on, the better and better and the more clamps were put down on, on Iowa State's offense from the OSU defense. Because Iowa State's offense, Colby, is really tricky. They, they put out their three tight ends, they shift, they motion. Some are eligible in some place, some are not. It is a very weird offense to face that throws a lot at you pre-snap. And they pretty much shut them down. I mean, they scored a touchdown under a minute to go to just to get to 21. They basically held them to 14 points throughout the duration of the game. So, again, another huge takeaway for me is that defense is not only great and the best in the Big 12, I think it's time to start talking about the defense, Colby, as one of the best in the country. Yeah, I would agree. I think, man, I've heard some people making way too much of the two big runs. If you play the aggressive style of defense that Oklahoma State plays, you have to be willing to give up a big play here or there. Whenever West Virginia scored, they scored on a 60-yard slant because there wasn't anybody behind. But here's the, the trade-off for that is Oklahoma State, by playing so aggressively, put Brock Purdy through 60 minutes of hell. I mean, Brock Purdy – he obviously they scored and he got the touchdown pass late on that last drive. But I mean, 19 to 34, a touchdown and a pick 162 yards passing is what he had. So I think you can live with the long runs if it means that you're playing aggressively and you're shutting somebody down the rest of the game. And I don't know, it's, and I don't, I hate to single him out because this, this is my guy. And I've heard a lot of other people saying this, but I was listening to the franchise this morning and Todd Lisby was on saying, you know, if, if they're going to give up runs of 66 and 70 yards against good teams, they're not going to be able to beat good teams doing that. And I'm like, well, what is Iowa State? Isn't Iowa State a good team? Didn't they just beat OU a few weeks ago? And, and he said, you know, you can't beat Alabama if you're giving up long runs and throwing two interceptions. I'm like, is, is that the bar that we're comparing Oklahoma State's Saturday performance to, is whether that performance can beat Alabama? I was okay with the two long runs because Oklahoma State was aggressive all day and the rest of the game – was just an absolute nightmare for Iowa State offensively. Exactly. Like, Caden McFarlane, our friend of the show, who's he makes another – he's made an appearance on the show, I think, the last three times. We'll I know. I already him. know what you're going to say, and I was beside myself when I saw his tweet. We'll shout him out again, and he basically said along the lines, you know, elite defenses don't give up runs of 60 and 70 yards. And my point was, yeah, I mean, they – there were busted runs. I mean, busted coverage, you know, that's going to happen against a good team every now and then. And they pretty much shut them down the, the rest of the game. Does that not, does that not matter? Alabama gave up like a hundred points to Ole Miss. Are they, are they not elite defense? I, I just, the bar in which OSU's defense now is, is judged is, is kind of humorous. Cause again, Iowa state dropped 37 on Oklahoma and they basically had 14 points until the last 50 seconds of the game when OSU's just and, trying and remember, to milk the clock. Seven of those they started in the red zone after uh, Spencer's first pick. Exactly. No doubt. So yeah, again, so I, I think this defense Colby and another Colby Colby Daniels made this point. I'll give him credit too. Uh, is there a better safety duo in the country than Trey Sterling and Colby Harvell Peel? I mean that, that interception that Harvell Peel had, that is a first team all American safety. 
only first team All-Americans can make that play. And he made it look easy. I mean, he had that diving catch and just kind of stood up and kind of flipped the ball. Like, yeah, that's that's kind of what I do. I, I could not be more impressed with that safety duo as well. Yeah, he's really good. Trey Sterling had nine tackles on Saturday, and he had the big play on third down where he, you know, Kolar kind of pushed off and he had to catch up. And he mm -hmm. did catch up and he jumped across the face of him, fully laid out uh, and swatted that ball away. But here, here's the thing, you know, you, you want to compare Oklahoma State's defense to the elites in the country and talk about them giving up two big runs. Did nobody see the 60-yard touchdown pass that Syracuse threw against Clemson? Are, are we mad at Clemson's defense? Seriously, they gave <laughs> up a big play to Syracuse. Is that not allowed? Apparently not. I don't know exactly how long that passing touchdown was. I just saw the highlight. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I could pull it up here, but I just feel like Oklahoma State's defense is being graded on a curve for what past Oklahoma State defenses have been. This isn't past Oklahoma State defenses. I, this is this year, and, uh, I mean, this defense is balling, man. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm all in on this defense. I think that they are um, borderline elite. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Syracuse scored on an 83-yard touchdown pass against Clemson. 83 yards they scored. Did you see Dabo? Did you see Dabo's press conference? No, I did not. Was it great? Well, he basically said, "Like, am I at the right press conference? Did we not win the game? Did we not score forty-seven? Like, he's like, if we were, if we didn't come out with the right energy, you don't score forty-seven points and win going away. So, like, I think Dabo and Clemson are graded on a, a bit of a curve too. But no, to your point, I mean, look, all the all the stuff about giving up the two big plays, that's fine. And that, that was a problem last year. You go back to that Baylor game when they gave up just big play after big play. But since that game, Colby, they haven't been giving up those massive plays. And, and they did track Brees Hall down on the first one. But the way I judge a defense, you don't judge it by total yards because it doesn't take into account how many possessions and plays. You judge it by yards per play. And OSU is top 10 in the country in yards per play allowed. That, that tells you all you need to know. On a play-by-play on a -play basis, they're stifling teams. They gave up three third-down conversions. Three. And, again, I'm not, I'm not out here to make Iowa State into, you know, the 2018 OU offense with Kyler Murray. But they're a good offense with one of the best running backs in the league, with a veteran quarterback, with one of the best tight ends in the country in Charlie Kolar. I mean, they, got, they present some problems. And OSU had no problems in that game other than those two big plays. Yeah, and I do want to go back to something you said earlier about Chuba and Brees Hall. It was painfully obvious to anyone who watched that game that Chuba Hubbard was the best running back in that game. And don't throw the box score at me to tell me that it was Brees Hall. Brees, so the first run, the first long run that Brees Hall had, Oklahoma State, whoever was on the, the left side of the line there, the defensive end, threw the tight end. What is going on with this audio? The, uh, the defensive end on that side <laughs> threw the tight end back into the corner who was trying to get across the formation to take the tackle. So the defensive end won so badly that he inhibited his own guy from getting over there. <laughs> and the second long run, Oklahoma State blitzed off the right side of the line and rotated to that side, and Iowa State ran left. And all he had to do was run. Chuba had to earn everything that he got on Saturday and looked phenomenal. I tweeted this out Saturday. I said, uh, I don't think anybody will be questioning whether Chuba wants to play football this afternoon. No, that's uh, that narrative's over with. And to your point, Brees Hall, so – I don't know the exact numbers, but it's basically a 70-yard run, a 60-yard run. So 130 of his 185 were on two plays, and he had 18 more carries for the rest of it. So on eight, the other 18 carries, he essentially had 
let me do my math here. He essentially had 55 yards on 18 carries after those two runs. Now those, those two runs count. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying on a, on a play by play basis, they bottled up Brees Hall, who, who is a really good running back in his own right. I'm, yeah, he, I think Shuba's really better too. Back. He's, he's good. Yeah. He's a really good running back. I agree with that. I think what we're both saying and what most rational people would agree is that you're willing to live with a couple of big ones. If it means that the rest of the day is miserable for the offense because you're taking some chances, you're making plays. I mean, Brock Purdy looks so uncomfortable all day. He just, he looked like he was ready to get out of Stillwater and never come back. Well, they, to your point about their, their style of defense, putting so much pressure on you, that's what happens. Like after, after the, over the course of a game, when they are in your face, the whole game, as, as Brian Keating said last night on our Sunday night show, crashing the boards, he said, you start seeing ghosts the way OSU starts pressuring you and go back to that play where the, the turf monster kind of got Brock Purdy. I mean, that's that's a perfect example. I mean, he he basically sacks himself because he's so flustered by all the pressure that's been put on him in that play and really the whole the whole game throughout. So again, just I mean, Colby, this this defense is great, and I I don't see this now. Are they going to give up some big plays? Sure. Are they going to hold every single team to twenty one or less? Probably not. But that defense is going to travel. And again, at every level of the defense, they are very, very, they are very good. And I don't think we can sit here and say anymore that, well, they haven't played anybody because Tulsa's defense all of a sudden looks fantastic. And they get another huge win on the road. Zayvon Collins is the national player of the year or player of the week at linebacker for Tulsa. So maybe those struggles they had against Tulsa make more sense now. Tulsa looks like a legit defensive minded football team. And all of a sudden, Colby, OSU starting to build a bit of a resume here because you put that Tulsa win with the wins they're going to be able to rack up here against a Big 12 play. That's that's something special. And I guess I guess we're going to break down the playoff stuff a little later. But let's get to the offensive side. You mentioned Chuba. Was that the best run of his career? I mean, I, there's a lot of Ooh. runs over Chuba Hubbard's career, but the play he made on that touchdown run where he put his hand on the ground and cut back up field and scored. That, that goes immediately on his his all-time reel. It's near the top. Gosh, I would have to actually go back and watch some highlights of his best runs to determine. But, man, he looked good on that play. But even just throughout the day, he looked like last year's Chuba Hubbard. He was running through tackles. It was hard for guys to bring him down. He was fighting for extra yardage whenever he got hit. And then he had the one big highlight run where it totally looked like he was bottled up. He made a cut, made a cut, put his hand down, and took off. And – uh I mean, that was kind of a wow moment for Chuba Hubbard. So between he and Spencer Sanders, and we even said this last week, and this is something that I've been a huge proponent of all season, Spencer Sanders' threat to run the ball opens things up for Chuba Hubbard and allows him more space to operate. And we saw that clear as day on Saturday. He had a lot better running lanes with the threat of Spencer Sanders holding some guys on the edge. No doubt. And again, Chuba's had so many good runs, but most of them are like one cut and just gone. That was like some elusiveness that yeah. immediately goes up in the reel. But you mentioned Spencer Sanders. He really is Colby like having two running backs on the field at all times. Cause when that guy gets in the open field, now Sanders does tend to dance a little bit East and West, but when he gets up field, he's a running back. I mean, he is electric running the football and his legs made a huge difference because they were, the go-ahead touchdown was was a touchdown run, and that was just such, such a huge answer by him because he had just thrown his second interception. The walls were kind of closing in here. The, the 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 whispers of should they go to Illingworth because he can throw the ball better when they get down the red zone were there. 
he immediately marches them, bing, bang, boom, down the field, runs it in for a touchdown. That was the biggest drive of his of his young career. Yeah, I still do. I did all last week, and I still do this week, think that anybody clamoring for Shane Illingworth is a little bit silly. He had one good game against Kansas. Other than that, all they asked him to do was manage the game. It'd be crazy to throw him out there uh, in the heat of the schedule and think you're going to run through it. But Sanders did have the two picks. Didn't think the first one was really his fault. I thought it was a great play by two Iowa State guys. The guy who jumped up and tipped the ball made a phenomenal play. And then the guy who caught it made a great play. The second pick was a bad read. He uh, didn't see the guy coming down in time and, and let it go a little too soon uh, or a little too late, pardon me, and it got picked off. But I thought for the most part, considering he hadn't played a full football game in a calendar year, I thought he looked good. I thought he made the right reads in the run game. I thought for the most part he threw the ball well. He utilized Tylen a lot on third down. So I was I was happy and, and for the most part, 90% impressed with what Spencer Sanders did on Saturday. That being said – he has more interceptions than touchdown passes in Big 12 play in his career. How concerned are you? I agree with you. That first one was just a hell of a defensive play. The way the guy batted the ball up in the air and the other guy making the pick, that one I'm willing to let slide. The second one was really bad. And at some point, Colby, he has to quit throwing interceptions or they're just they're not going to reach their ceiling. Is that, a, is that a concern for you? I mean, I know you're not clamoring for Illingworth, and I'm certainly not either. Um, but I will say, like in the red zone, they struggled some. I might be tempted to throw Illingworth in there to throw some fade routes to Tywin. That may be the only case. But are the interceptions, are they not that big of a concern for you? Because they're, they're a huge concern for me. I, at a certain point, he's played a lot of football. And I know he missed a lot last year and beginning of this year. At a certain point, you, you can't keep throwing interceptions. It's going to get you beat. Yeah, they are a medium concern for me and, and the reason I say they're a medium concern yes he's thrown uh too many interceptions more interceptions than touchdowns but we know that last year as a freshman he had one little stretch where it all kind of went wrong against Texas Kansas State and Texas Tech it just all kind of went wrong he threw seven interceptions in those three games alone mm -hmm. so that accounts for seven of his 12 and then he's thrown five interceptions in his other what eight or nine career starts so um and, and again Saturday, I give him the blame for one, full blame on the second one, not so much on the first one. But I just, man, I, I don't think that uh, I'm watching a quarterback who's constantly making bad reads and just throwing it into coverage or, you know, throwing across his body in the middle of the field, making bad decisions. I thought he made one bad decision with the football on Saturday, uh, and I thought that that was his second interception. So it's of medium concern to me because I would certainly like to have more games where he threw zero interceptions. That would be nice. But it's not of huge concern to me uh, just yet. If it if it persists as he get gets older and plays more football, you know, if he throws two against Texas and then two against Kansas State, then I'll come on here on the bye week and tell you, okay, this is a big problem, and maybe they need to start um, working on him taking care of the ball, doing something with the play calling where it makes it less likely that he'll throw picks. But right now, on a scale of one to ten for interception concern for Sanders, I'd sound probably at about a five. You know who – I just thought of this analogy as you were you were kind of going over everything. Do you know who Spencer Sanders is? He's, he's Russell Westbrook, and here's the analogy. He puts way more on the table with what he can do, you know, running the football, the, the run game, opening things up for Chuba, the electricness he has in the open field. Uh, he puts way more on the table than he takes off with the interceptions. So, like, his ceiling – is so high, like you're willing to live with Russell taking a, a few bad threes because he's just dominating the game everywhere else. I think Spencer's a lot like that in terms of the mistakes are glaring when they're made, 
but he just makes things happen. He, he really, I'm not clamming for Illingworth. I think he puts way too much on the table. And again, he is still a redshirt freshman who's not played a ton of football. He hadn't played in a, this is his first full game since November of last year. So I'm with redshirt you. Redshirt sophomore now, right? Redshirt sophomore? Or sorry, yeah, redshirt sophomore. Uh, with COVID, hell, he'll be a redshirt sophomore next year. That's but, a good point. So it's a concern for me, yes, but you, you just, this is, this is who you recruited. You're, you're going to, you're going to ride him till the wheels fall off. So I, I think he, I think he knows that. And I think Mike Gundy said something really interesting that, that makes a lot of sense to me. He said, Spencer Sanders is just ultra, ultra competitive and wants everything to go perfectly at all times. So like when he does make that interception, it just drives him insane. Cause he's, he's such a perfectionist. And I think that's sometimes he's always trying to make the home run play too, because he's that competitive. He wants to put you away on every single play. And I think he's still kind of learning Colby how to, you know, let the game come to him, not force things like that second interception. And I think, I think he's going to get there. So I I'm with you. I think it's a medium concern. It's not as if he needs to be benched, but I do think his competitiveness sometimes gets to him. Yeah, I'll say this. Against Iowa State, Oklahoma State lost the turnover battle 2-1, to one, and they lost the points off turnover battle 14-0. to zero. Uh, You can beat Iowa State doing that. You can, I'm, you can beat Texas doing that, maybe even Kansas State. You won't beat OU if you lose the points off turnover battle 14 to nothing. So it's something that will have to be cleaned up to beat the absolute uh, best team in this league, the next best team, whatever you want to say. Oklahoma State's the best team until somebody beats them right now since everybody else – uh, is taking L's, but um, to beat OU, you're going to have to play a little bit cleaner. There's no doubt about it. I have another big takeaway. Do you have? Do you have one more? I have oh, another. I, I have an audio clip. I need to pull up if you have one. Uh, yeah. So I mean, the, the game on Saturday obviously missed field goals on both sides, um, but I thought it was a, a well coached game from Oklahoma State. I didn't have major problems. Uh, Iowa State punted once on fourth and two from Oklahoma State's forty, and Whew, fourth and two from the opponent 40, that seems like a really good time to go for it for me. And I know I'm ultra aggressive guy who never wants to see the punter come out, but I feel like even for just middle of the road, rational conservative football fan, fourth and two from the opponent 40 is a really good time to go for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Isn't this team though, Colby kind of, I, I tweeted this during the game, you know, the, the Gundy likes to punt on those situations. Isn't this team like Mike Gundy's, fever dream like something he's always wanted an elite defense where he can just run the football and throw it sideways yeah you know what drives me crazy about Gundy and his punting is on the touchdown drive that Oklahoma State ended up going up 21 to 14 they were at the 36 and a half yard line with fourth and half a yard and they were kind of in no man's land so they went for it and they picked it up easily and what drives me crazy about Mike Gundy is that if Oklahoma State had been 10 yards further back if they would have been at Iowa State's 46 and a half yard line I'm almost positive that he would have punted and you're just going to be able to pick up that half a yard, probably, I don't know, 80% of the time. It's mm-hmm. just so worth it to go for that. And then you drive down and you score the go ahead touchdown. It's, I mean, once you cross midfield, I think you just have to adjust your brain to think, okay, let's call plays as if we've got four downs. Cause if we get anything fourth and less than five, we're going for it. And I, I just, I don't feel like they do that. I, I feel like it's, you know, they only go for it on fourth and short if they're too far away to kick the field goal, but absolutely too co- close to punt somewhere in that 35 to 42 yard uh, yard line on the field range. And so, again, you cross midfield. I think you have to start thinking differently about how you call plays and set your te- 
team up to go score a touchdown instead of kicking the ball. It is funny how those 10 yards make such a difference in a coach's mind. It really does. And the math makes the same sense to go for it. It doesn't matter that those 10 yards, you're still on the opposing side of the field. But I will say this, Colby, it drives me crazy too with the punting and short situations, especially when you're across midfield. But it's worked out for Mike Gundy. I'm sure he sits there and he, he makes those decisions and it almost always works out for him. I mean, this was like the sixth straight game against Iowa State that's been decided by a touchdown or less. And for the most part, Colby, when, when Mike Gundy plays a conservative, he wins a lot of football games that are close games. So I'm sure in his mind, the math adds up and it makes sense. And you got to admit, though, it, it does tend to work out for him most of the time. Yeah, and I'll say this. I, I did not have a problem with Oklahoma State punting from across midfield late in the game up by 10 with three minutes left or whatever the case was, because that's just situational football. What I'm talking about is, you know, in a tie game in the third quarter, if you've got fourth and two from the opponent's 43-yard line, you should be going for that. You should be trying to win the game. And, you know, you talk about punting and playing defense with this defense. I think this defense would almost make me more willing to go for it from midfield because you know that if you don't get it, there's a good chance your defense is going to go out and force a three and out. I mean, you, you, you've got some guys backing you up if your offense isn't able to get it done. So um, that's the way I look at it. But on the flip side, if you, if you punt it away and you can pin them deep, which Oklahoma state did a good job of, uh, I know Presley had a, a, a nice catch down at like the three yard line on one of those late punts and was able to pin them deep. Then if you force a three and out, you get it back near midfield. So it's kind of a give and take. I, I try to be reasonable with my never punt um situation I understand there are times that you should and that you need to I just I, I would like there to be a little more a little more critical thinking once you cross mid, midfield instead of a definite 100 percent yes we punt here are right, you ready for my last big takeaway of the game roll it Jelani Woods Jelani Woods they threw the ball to Jelani hallelujah Oh, my gosh. I saw him breaking open, running down the middle of the field. And I was sitting there, me and my wife, and we had a couple of friends over watching the game. And I was sitting there, and I stood up out of my chair before Spencer even threw it. And I said, Jelani, Jelani. And then he threw it. And then Jelani almost dropped it. And he just kind of bobbled it for just a second. Um, and then he ends up just barely getting into the end zone. But I was fired up to see Jelani Woods be a part of the offense. He is a weapon. He looks like a small building that you're throwing to he is huge he's a monster throw him the football he's athletic god it was such a great play by him and i, I loved seeing him and and logan carter getting involved at the cowboy backs you know a lot was made of, of iowa state's tight ends but man jelani woods and logan carter moved the chains they played really well they combined for six catches and uh 81 yards on six targets so six six targets six catches they're they're getting open and they're producing. So hopefully that trend continues. I was so happy to see them finally utilize Jelani Woods. And I, I wish they threw to him more, Colby, but, man, he had a good game against Iowa State. Do you know what he's listed as as far as size goes? 6'8", 275. You were very close. He's listed at 6'7", 275. Jeez. And they barely use him. Drives I me know. nuts. Well, they, they use him to block a lot, which I'm fine with. He's huge. He's basically an offensive tackle. But can you not just split him out wide on some of those DBs and just make him run like a 10-yard curl and just throw it up in the air? Like, I don't know. I just – I feel like sometimes – and this this goes for, you know, Charlie Kolar too. They, they, they really try to utilize him in those ways. But 
when you got a matchup problem like that, just keep going to it. I know you have a game plan. I know you have scripting and all that, but if you find a mismatch, which surely he can find one on the field against like a nickelback or even a linebacker, just design five, six, seven, eight plays and just keep going to it. I, I don't see how you stop that with his size. Yeah. I mean, we saw several times whenever Iowa State played OU, they got Charlie Kolar matched up with Buki, who stands at 5'8", 5'9", and they literally just lobbed it up in the air, and it was either a pass interference or a catch every time. And it just seems like Oklahoma State would be able to get some of those same matchups. And, you know, even if he's not – even if he doesn't have as great of ball skills as a guy like Charlie, Charlie Kolar going up and high-pointing the football, I mean, that's something that you can work on in practice – where you can just kind of get him used to boxing out a defender like you're boxing out for a rebound and just going up and grabbing the ball. That's at his size. There's no reason that he's not utilized more than he is in the red zone and on some of these third downs, you know, third and six, third and seven. I mean, he can post somebody up eight yards down the field on third and seven, and you can just kind of toss it up and let him grab it. So hopefully uh, with the nice play on Saturday, we'll see a little bit more of that in the passing game. If they don't do that to Buki when they play OU, it's a systematic failure. Did you see you know, what Matt Wells said this morning about Buki? No. So Matt Wells this morning, head coach Texas Tech, obviously, and they're playing OU this week. And this is just great, great gamesmanship from Matt Wells. Because he came out this morning, he's like, you know, when I look at that defense and I look at guys can really play, I look at 44, man. 44 is flying all over <laughs> the field. Man, 44, he's a player now. That's what Matt Wells said this morning. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it doesn't take a genius to decipher that and realize that Matt Wells is begging OU to put Buki out there on every play. He got torched early against TCU, and then TCU did what exactly what you said down on the goal line. They, they split a tight end out wide on Buki. Easy pitch and catch, touchdown. Easy. Easy. And I think, I think Buki brings a lot of it on himself with how much trash he talks, and then he gives up big plays. And he led OU in tackles, but I would argue the reason he led them in tackles was because they were thrown to his guy, and he is having to recover and make a make a tackle. That's a good so. point. Yeah, so. that's a good point. If, if the guy you're guarding is catching it all day and you have to tackle him 15 times. Yeah, and so great win from Oklahoma State. Obviously, they're sixth in the country still after, the, after that game, and this brings up Texas. Uh, they beat Baylor, Colby, and it was it was ugly. I mean, they had 25 yards of offense – in the first half or in the first quarter against Baylor and Baylor is not, they are not a defensive. They are not the Matt rule Baylor defense. They lost a lot of guys, the pros. And I don't know, Colby, I don't think Texas is any good at all. They've given up. Let's see here. They gave up, uh, they've given up a ton of points on de their defense stinks. I'm trying to pull up their schedule. They gave up 56 to tech. 33 to TCU in a loss, 53 in a four-overtime loss to Oklahoma. Their defense isn't any good. I think Oklahoma State should dominate Texas. I think they should win by two or three touchdowns. Am I crazy? No, it's funny that you said that because I totally came on here prepared today for you to tell me that, that it was going to be close against Texas and that it was a good matchup, and I was going to tell you that Texas is horrible and Oklahoma State's going to obliterate them on Saturday um the line is three and it should be three touchdowns that's I'm, I'm picking Oklahoma State to win the game by three touchdowns they are going to make Sam Ellinger so miserable Texas cannot run the ball to offset what Oklahoma State does defensively in the pass rush Sam Ellinger is going to be miserable they're going to be all over him all day he's going to turn the ball over Texas defense is terrible I don't see this game even being competitive 
at all. I'm I'm with you. Now the line should probably be like ten, not three touchdowns. Yeah, not three touchdowns. But, That's obviously that'd be too big. But yeah, ten would be a good better. But number. if Oklahoma State is who we think they are, and I think they are. I think they're an elite. They're an elite defense. Their offense has playmakers with Tylen and Chuba and Spencer. Now, is their offense good enough to just go out and score 40, 49 against Texas? Maybe not. They 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 might not be good offensively right now to just boat race a team. But with that defense, the way they're going to harass Sam Ellinger, they if they're the team we think they are, Colby, that's what they should do to Texas. They should win this going away. And, you know, Texas, they, they basically want to fire Tom Herman. They're in total disarray. This is a game that looked much tougher before the season than it does now. I think I'm with you. I think OSU should, should go out and make a point against Texas. Yeah, one thing I've learned about Sam Ellinger, and it really reared its head a couple of weeks ago against OU, is this dude has horrible – pocket presence he does not feel the rush very well at all and that OU team that at that time was still really trying to find itself sacked him like six seven eight times I mean Calvin Bundage and Trace Ford and Amen Ogbongbamiga these guys are going to have a field day going after Sam Ellinger and if he tries to stand still like a statue in the pocket like he did against OU I mean so many times he was just standing there feet weren't moving or anything he was just standing totally still in the pocket waiting for somebody to run wide open well, guess what? Ain't nobody running wide open against Rodarius Williams, Christian Holmes, Colby Harvell, Peel, Trey Sterling. Nobody's running open, and you got guys coming at you. So it's just Oklahoma State's defense against Texas' offense is going to be a complete mismatch. Yeah, I mean, I just who is who is going to make plays for Texas? I mean, they they're starting to play the Bijan Robinson kid at, at tailback, but he's not Brees Hall. I mean, who's going to make plays at receiver? I mean, has Texas had a legit receiver in five, six years? They still don't have one. Their uh, leading receiver had one catch. He had one catch for 72 yards uh, last week against Baylor. And again, I don't think Baylor is any good at all. And they hung around and made things interesting in Austin. So again, that's a, a huge opportunity for Oklahoma State. And that Again, that kind of makes OSU's schedule look far more manageable because I do think it's a tough stretch coming up here. You got Texas at home. And then you go on the road, I think at K-State next. Yes, on the road at K-State, on the road at Oklahoma. This three-game stretch. Between. Yeah, by week in between K-State and Oklahoma. Right. So this three, this four-game stretch, really, including Iowa State, is really going to determine their season. And it looked a lot tougher before the year with Texas coming to Stillwater. That game certainly looked losable before the game. Now I think, I think three-point line is crazy. I think they should absolutely go there and take care of business against Texas. Then you go 2K State. That game's always tricky. And, and then Oklahoma. But if OSU is who we think they are, Colby, I think they should handle business. Uh, one more thing to get to here. The punt. The Texas punt. Or the Baylor punt, the Baylor. I'm sorry. I, uh, I screen-grabbed it and made sure I tagged you in the tweet. Baylor punted on Texas's 30-yard line. <laughs> like – should you not kick a try along field goal? Obviously, go for it. I mean, how many more things would you do, Colby, before punting on the 30? <laughs> the limit does not exist. You know that mean <laughs> girl scene? The limit does not exist. Oh, yeah, mean girls. Great movie. There is there is nothing that can make me punt from the from the opponent 30-yard line. Dave Aranda was actually asked about it this morning. Did you see his answer? No. What did he say? Dave Aranda was asked about it this morning and he admitted that it was a mistake to punt from the Texas 30. He said, I got too cute. We should have just kicked it between the uprights. Yeah. That's another stuff in there about it being a mistake and stuff. But I'm like, too cute. I, I just don't know how in the moment, obviously, by the way, the result 
of that punt was a touchback and Texas scored on its next drive. That's so great. No, too cute is running like a reverse pass when you should just kick a field goal. That's too cute. Too stupid is punting <laughs> from the 30. That That's just too stupid, not too cute. I think he's being too kind. And that's not even, you know, I'm, I'm way – way far on the spectrum whenever it comes to punting i understand most people are, are more rational about punting than i am but even the most rational conservative football fan i don't think would ever punt from the opponent's 30 yard line i would imagine even the players on baylor's roster when he ran the punt team out had to be sitting over there thinking what the hell are we doing here we went from matt rule to this guy who's punting from the opponent's 30 are you kidding me yeah awful we're gonna change this name of the podcast to the never punt podcast by the way Hashtag never punt. Uh, one more thing before we get to uh, the uniform review and bullets and BBs. Uh, Heather Denich sent out a tweet. You know, Oklahoma State Colby's now, they're going to be in the playoff picture now that they beat Iowa State and certainly if they keep winning. She says the Big 12 still has an undefeated team in OSU. If it can stay that way and win the league title, it has a chance at the CFP, but there's still a long way to go and something to prove. So she's basically saying that even if OSU goes undefeated, even if they win the Big 12 championship game, they still have a lot, like they, they still might not get in. Is that not just absolute stupidity? Because Oklahoma has gotten in the playoff with a loss and usually a terrible one they've gotten in because of the, the helmet, helmet logo. I think OSU should be able to get in with one loss, especially considering the Pac-12 and Big 10 aren't playing full schedules. Uh, they're going to have – you know, if they win the Big 12 undefeated, they're going to beat OU. Uh, if they if they win it with one loss, they're going to beat a really good team in the in the Big 12 title game. I don't know. I this, this goes back to what I hate, just it being about helmet logos and names, not exactly your resume. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't – I think Oklahoma State should be a candidate to get in with one loss. I don't think they would be because of helmet logo, because of who they are. They're not a blue blood. It's Oklahoma State. Um, I mean, we even see it right now in the polls – you know, quality losses are such a huge metric if you're a name, a name brand. You know, Georgia has a quality loss, and they're ahead of Oklahoma State right now in the polls. They don't really have any quality wins. Um, I mean, I guess. I, I don't know. They, their schedule hasn't been great. They lost to the one really good team they played against. They were tied with Arkansas at halftime or behind Arkansas at halftime, whatever the score was. And they're ahead of Oklahoma State because they're a name brand, and they've got that quality loss. But if Oklahoma State – Let's say OU runs the table in the regular season and, and they beat Oklahoma State. So now you've got an 8-2 and two OU team, and that's Oklahoma State's only loss. You think Oklahoma State's going to get as much credit for a quality loss as teams like Georgia do? There's, there's just no way. So the, the system is designed to let the same handful of helmet logos in the playoff every year, and to buck that system, you just can't lose a game. It's just – it's the system that college football has outlined. And I think, unfortunately, for Oklahoma State to get in, they've got to go undefeated. Now, that's possible, but it's it's just hard to do, man. Todd, Todd and Dylan were talking about it earlier. OU one time in the last 40 years has gone undefeated. It's just incredibly rare that that happens. And it's a shame that if you don't have a, a helmet logo, you can't survive that one loss. Just like well, we saw in 2011 with Oklahoma State. OU's done it twice. They went undefeated in 2000 when they won the title. They went undefeated when they got boat raced by USC in the bowl. Oh, game. okay. I think they were talking about including including the, the national championship, including game. the national championship game. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's really hard. I mean, only one team has. I think Texas was the last team to go undefeated in Big 12 play in 2009, and that was. 
that was pre round robin, I think. So I think since they've introduced the round robin, nobody's gone undefeated. That's that's really hard to do. And yeah, it's this tough. is what I, by the way. I don't think Oklahoma State will go undefeated this year just because it's so difficult to do. I don't know exactly which game they'll lose, but I don't think they'll go undefeated. It's so tough. And this is what drives me crazy about the SEC. You mentioned Georgia. They beat Auburn. Well, Auburn was ranked seventh when they played. Auburn well, sucks. Why were they ranked seventh? It's because they're an SEC team. They Auburn lost to Georgia. They lost to South Carolina, who is not any good. And they're not. They're never going to be close to the top ten again. So that. I guess that's their quality win just because before the season, everyone said, Oh, well, Auburn's good. Well, they, they're not. So they, how much credit are they really going to get for a win over a team like Auburn? I, I, that's, a, that's what drives me crazy about preseason polls and, right. and by, by that logic, by that logic, whenever Oklahoma state routes Texas this weekend, they should get credit for a top 10 win. Cause Texas was not, was top 10 coming into the season, right? They were supposed to be good because <laughs> of those horns on the side of the helmet. Yep. Yep. So I'm already, they haven't even started with the CFP projections and I'm already like triggered by it all. Oh yeah. So. I'm already upset. <laughs> it's I'm a timeless mad. tradition. I'm ready. I'm fully prepared to cuss at my TV. I'm ready. Absolutely. Let's get to bullets and BBs, Colby. Who you got for a, uh, for a bullet helmet sticker? Uh, I went back and forth between two on this one. I was either going to give it to Tylen for just, I mean, the things that he's done to that Iowa state defensive back the last two years. It's just not right what he does to that kid. I don't know if they have some sort of personal beef or what it is. You know that's the same DB that he stiff-armed on the long run last year, right? Anthony Johnson is his name. Anthony yes, Johnson. he's the guy that he stiff-armed into another galaxy. Yeah, stiff-armed him into another galaxy. And then he started talking a little noise on Saturday. So Tylen just pushed him back five yards like he was the sled without a weight on the back on Saturday. I really wanted to give it to Tylen, but I decided – to give it to Trey Sterling because I thought Trey Sterling on Saturday was phenomenal. And I think that we need to recognize Oklahoma state's defense. He had nine tackles in that game, had some good tackles in the open field. He made the diving play on Kolar and he was matched up against Kolar a lot of the day. And, and Charlie Kolar probably had, uh, let's look five catches, 54 yards, no touchdowns. That's about as well as you can defend Charlie Kolar. So my bullet is going to Trey Sterling. Yeah, I think I think Kohler might have had double-digit targets. They were trying to get him the ball, and yeah, Sterling did a really good job on him. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stick with the safety position for my bullet. Uh, Colby Harvell-Peel, I mean, this guy was first-team All-Big 12 last year. I think he's certainly on pace to do that again. I think he's on pace to be first-team All-American if people pay attention and watch the games. Because you put him in an Alabama uniform, and no one's questioning whether he's a first-team All-American. That's how good he's playing. He's an unbelievable football player. I think any team in the country would love to have Colby Harvell-Peel. And he's basically the – he looks like, to me, the heart and soul of that defense. They kind of go as he goes, and he's he's a true leader. And I can't say enough good things about Colby Harvell-Peel. He was sensational. Yeah, I think this is the most – in terms of modern era, I think that this will be the most drafted players from a single Oklahoma State defense. I think Colby Harvell-Peel will be drafted. I think Trey Sterling will have a chance. I think Rodarius Williams will be drafted. And I think Trace Ford – and Calvin Bundage both have great chances to be drafted as well. The linebackers, I'm not sure, could could be, you know, 50-50. But if the team defense continues to be as good as it is, then it will draw more eyes to that Oklahoma State defense and give these guys a better chance to be drafted and move on to the next level because we just have not seen an assemblance of talent like this on Oklahoma State's defense in a long, long time. Yeah, you can tell Gundy's trying to keep their heads uh, afloat to not, not get too crazy because he says – we're practicing really well. They're gaining a lot of confidence. They know who they are, and we're trying to limit them from 
listening to the outside noise and people telling them how good they are. And I think Harvell Peel said the same thing. So they're, they're really locked in. They're, they're not trying to get too far ahead of themselves. They're just trying to get off the field on third down. They're doing such a great job with that. Who's your, uh, who's your BB? Uh, my BB, I went back and forth on this one too. I wasn't sure where to go. Uh, and we, already ta- we already talked about the punt. But I have to give it to Dave Aranda. He's got to get my BB. He yeah. punted from Texas's 30-yard line, Carson. How do you do that? He should have to walk back to, to Waco. I I mean, if, if he had not only just coached his third game in Waco, that's a borderline fireable offense. That's a deal where when you're in the huddle, you just change the play. Like, if you're the punter, like, all right, I'm going to fake it here, and I'm going to throw it out to you, the tight end over here. Okay, let's do it. All right, one, two, three, break. Like, you just – our, our coach lost his mind, guys. We got to take this into our own hands. That's that's what I would have done. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was bad. It was bad, uh, bad, bad. My I have two BBs. First, the Fox audio dropping. You got Tim Brando doing mic checks as the game's going on. What what happened? I know it's COVID, and they're probably running a a lesser crew with less amount of people. But man, they lost the audio. I I, I queued up Dave Hunziker uh, during the break, and I just kept it rolling. I know it's, there's a delay, but him and John Holcomb give you a lot of insight. So I, I queued up uh, Hunziker and the boys when the audio dropped. Yeah, that's that was clutch, queuing up Hunziker. I actually – I saw people talking about it on Twitter, and I'm like, when did this happen? So I had a rack of ribs on the smoker on Saturday, and I had to go out and tend to my ribs, I guess, whenever this audio debacle was happening. And when I came <laughs> back in, I got on Twitter, and everybody was talking about it, and I'm like, what happened? Did they, did they lose sound? And uh, apparently that's what happened. So shame on Fox. Well, I think, I think they lost audio or – I think they may have. Yeah, I think that is what happened. Some at some someone said they lost. They couldn't see the game, but they were there. They weren't like just doing the broadcast from somewhere else. I don't believe. I, I didn't. I don't think it was. A as I was talking, game. I had to remember if I saw them on camera at Boone Pickens, and I'm pretty sure I did. So it wasn't just, you know, because that can happen now, Colby. You got people calling games in studios, not at the games with COVID, but they. Brando and, and Tillman were there. So it was kind of a weird moment when they lost audio. And it was actually kind of nice. You just had the gnats from the paddle people and everyone else. It was, it was kind of nice for there for a minute. But uh, my second BB goes to Anthony Johnson, who we just mentioned, <laughs> the DB that got stiff-armed to another galaxy and dimension. Uh, it was kind of, to me, Colby, like when you get punked by like your older brother and you're just trying to prove yourself from then on and trying to get him back. He just kept talking and talking and trying to get in his head and talk trash. And finally, Tylen had enough. And you're right. He he basically went full Debo on him, like on Friday, where he, where he just punches the guy and he flies like 20 yards. That's basically – Tylen went full Debo on Anthony Johnson. And he's going to see two in his nightmares for a while. Yeah, he got embarrassed on Saturday. Not only on that – I mean, Tylen embarrasses a lot of people running routes and making plays over the top of them and stuff. But – he wanted to talk all that noise whenever Tylen Fall started uh, and back to Oklahoma State up early in the game, and then he got put on his back. So careful what you wish for, buddy. He did. He did cover him a little. He did cover him pretty well. I think he drew an offensive pass interference too from Tylen. Uh, I would like to see Tylen get more involved than he was against Iowa State, which again I think teams are realizing that he is their passing game and they're they're doing everything they can. But but Tylen was great blocking and and all that. And Tylen got screwed on a holding call too. The touchdown run. Oh, yes. That was brutal. That was terrible. That that was like a textbook block by a wide receiver. He just got his hand inside the shoulder pad. 
which every receiver does on every single running play. That was the, the officiating crew deserves a BB too. They were terrible. Yeah, I thought it was a poorly officiated game. I thought that one. And then the uh, the deep route to Thailand where, I mean, the, the Williams, whatever his name is, Anderson, whatever his name was, clearly impeded his ability to get back to the ball. They throw the flag because it was an obvious pass interference. And then he gets on the mic and says, there's no foul for pass interference. I'm like, what <laughs> happened from the moment you saw him impede Thailand's progress to the moment the announcement was made? I, I didn't understand that at all. Yeah, that's always funny. It's like you threw the flag for a reason. Like, yeah. You don't just pick it up. Like there's a reason. And, and you threw that happens it. all the time. Like not all the time. It's not like it's happening multiple times a game all over the country. But fairly often you'll see a ref throw a flag and then they'll just decide, hmm, no, I'm good. It's like last night in the Sunday night football game, Tylen Wallace, not Tylen Wallace, Tyler Lockett makes that catch on fourth and two in the back of the end zone, taps the toe, and the, the two refs confer. They signal touchdown. And then 30 seconds later on the broadcast, they're like, oh, it looks like they went, like they went back and called it incomplete. They're gonna have to review it. <laughs> yeah that was weird deal, weird uh, deal. that was terrible uh let's get to the uh chris's university university spirit uh, uniform review this is brought to you by chris university spirit your one-stop cowboy shop on campus corner be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com what was your prediction on uniforms remind me uh bad it was a bad prediction on uniforms i had what did i go i think i went white orange white which that's right three you went over and so did i i picked white black white they they tricked us they went they did they liked the gray against iowa state i just didn't see the gray jersey coming and it's a good thing they won this game colby because i think they have a really bad history with the gray jerseys like people were tweeting at me about this they should stop wearing the gray jerseys because they never play well in them supposedly and so fortunately they won this so people won't just have night because people get like that colby with with uniforms if you wear one you lose they don't want to see them ever again so i thought it was a good look i don't i don't hate the gray some people do i, I whenever they came out with the new uniforms in 2011 i always wanted to see black gray black just to see what it looked like and they did wear it last year with the the armed services the the, the military uniforms that they wore yep. but this was like a traditional osu uniform with the black gray black and i i think it's not something that i just am over the moon about like an all black situation but I thought it looked pretty good. I thought it was a nice change up. Yeah, I think it looked fine. I, I'm not the biggest gray guy just because I love OSU's orange and black so much that I think whenever you go gray, you're taking away from that. Um, but I, I didn't have a problem with the uniforms on Saturday. I think there's a chance, Carson, we could see an all-black Halloween on Saturday. I'm rooting for it. Oh, I think that's happening. Got to be, right? Halloween day, you got Texas coming to town. I mean, that's all-black central. Make them mm-hmm. wear their all-whites. That'd be a good matchup. You tend to wear all black your biggest home game. That's like what they want to wear for the biggest home game of the year. Yeah. So I think that's what they're going to do. Or you could go black, black, orange. I think that's one of their best looks too. If you want to go full Halloween with, with the orange and black. Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Mix it see, up a little bit. You see Texas wore all white at home for the first time in like 70 years with throwbacks. Yeah, it was weird. Maybe that's why they look so slow and so bad. Or maybe it's because they're <laughs> slow and bad. I don't know. Well, that's what they're wearing in Stillwater. We know that. They're going to go all white, so... That should be a fun game. Uh, do you have one more interesting thing before we get out of here? I do have one interesting thing. I you know, Last week, we talked a little bit about the Des Bryant deal uh, and just how the NCAA just plays by its own set of rules, and you can't ever figure out what's going on with the NCAA. And uh, I see this quote now from Eric Bailey of the Tulsa World. On Twitter, Lincoln Riley again this morning was asked about Ramondre Stevenson, Trajan Bridges, and Ronnie Perkins, who still have been suspended by the NCAA for what I believe was a, a marijuana incident 
uh, toward the end of last year. And Lincoln Riley said, I don't have an update. This process is not as clear cut as you guys think it is, or I thought it was going to be. I'm not trying to play games. I do not know what their status is right now. What in the hell is going on at the NCAA office that we can't figure this out? I know we're an OSU podcast, and I'm, I'm going to bat for OU players here, but, I mean, this is getting a little excessive that we can't get these guys on the field. The, the punishment does not fit the crime. The fact that the NCAA is not giving OU the information, I mean, imagine how upset, I mean, we're, we're talking to Oklahoma State fans right now. Imagine how y'all upset y'all would be if this was Tylen and Chuba and Trace Ford. And, and for whatever reason, the NCAA will provide no updates as to what their status is. I just, man, this organization, the NCAA, they just make up the rules as they go along and nobody can ever figure out what they're doing. Yeah, I don't get it. Like, I certainly understand them being suspended for marijuana. Like, we can, we can talk about the laws and how we're more liberal with that. And it's legally, it's legal with a medical license and all that. But the fact is it's a rule and you know, you can get, you can lose football games if you test positive. Now the punishment has, is turning into overkill. I mean, they missed the college football playoff game. I think that would have been enough punishment for me. Now they're, they're going to miss five, six, seven games. I mean, I have no idea. And their offensive lineman got cleared like last week and he was just a transfer. It took him that long to figure out if he was eligible or not or get the, get the clearance. So I don't know. It's, it's a weird deal. You wish OSU was playing Oklahoma this week instead of in two or three weeks, because Agreed. those guys are top 10 players on their entire roster. Those guys. That well, are and not, not only that, but OU's getting better as we go. And yeah, OU's three and two this year and they missed the playoff game. So those guys have already missed six games. So we're at six and counting and we don't even have any kind of update on their status. No. So I don't know. It's just, I've got a real problem with the NCAA and how they hand out punishment. Yeah. That's a weird deal. Uh, my one interesting thing back to the OSU defense, Colby, they've given up 48 points this season, 48. That's an average of 12 points per game. So good. If Three of those being conference games, by the way. This wasn't Missouri State. Exactly. If Alabama was doing this, it'd be the, the headline on ESPN.com. Like, look, at this is an all-time great Alabama defense. Well, this is proven to be an all-time great OSU defense so far. Hopefully that trend continues. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, before we get out of here, this is totally off topic. But did you watch DK Metcalf chase down Buda Baker last night? That – is one of the most freakish things I've ever seen on a football field. Let me Google. I, I want to find you got DK like 22 Metcalf. miles an hour. DK Metcalf is six, three and a half. He weighs 230 pounds. So they've actually got him listed at six, four, And he, Oh my God, he was moving. And it looked like, you know what? Uh, the Braves would do that deal where the freeze would chase people down on the outfield wall and run. Yes. Past them. Yes. It looked like that, or it looked like – you remember when Hollywood raced the student and gave him like a 20-yard head start and flew past him? Yes. That's what it looked like, except that Buda Baker is off, is also a world-class athlete. <laughs> I think that is – that's one of those plays that you just – you can't give enough praise to because how many people in the NFL, when that interception's made, he's that far back in the end zone, just kind of start to jog. And, and go and just jog back over to the sideline. That is a play that they queue up and film that you just, you can't say enough good things about it. Like for, for a guy making millions of dollars to make that play, it was unbelievable. Oh, by the level. way, Arizona did not, ins did not score on the ensuing possession. That was the possession where they went for it on fourth and goal and did not get it. So no. would have had seven on the board, but DK chased him down 
and uh, Arizona didn't end up scoring. So to me, that that is the play of the year I've seen so far in the NFL. Yeah, no doubt. I had him on my fantasy team. I wish I get points for that because he didn't do uh, much on the offense. Yeah, my side. wife, my wife has, and we were watching the game last night, and she's like, "Do I get points for that? I feel like I should get a bonus because I'm the commissioner." Definitely. She told me she was like, "You need to go in and give me a bonus for that. That should count as a touchdown." You should get six points. Yeah, you saved a touchdown. You should get six points for that. I think yeah. so. All right, Colby, things are looking great for OSU. This is turning out to be a, a special season so far, and they got three tough games coming up, or maybe two, not counting two. Texas. Two. We don't like Texas. <laughs> Texas sucks. We'll preview the Longhorns and the Cowboys coming up on Friday. Colby Powell, thanks again. We'll talk to you then. This was firing.